This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Wednesday, March 1st. 2023 on today's episode we're gonna have a spoiler filled conversation about the mandalorian chapter 17 the apostate this is slash home editorial director peter serretta and joining me on today's podcast is slash home editor brad omen hey that's me and star wars expert brian young i'm just thrilled to be here and about to be taken to jail apparently <laughs> yeah what, what is going on some, some pl- an ambulance uh, driving by it's the thrills of living downtown yeah, uh, guys, I'm I'm glad to be back together with you guys virtually in a virtual room to talk about Star Wars, and it's always a good day when we have new Star Wars, and uh, we have a new episode of The Mandalorian. Actually, uh, one of us might have more than one episode of The Mandalorian. Brian, you went to the premiere last night. I did. I uh, I had a very quick turnaround trip to Los Angeles. I went to the the world premiere where where John Favreau and and Dave Filoni introduced two episodes of the show and cast and crew were present and I got to do a little bit of uh, interviewing and whatnot beforehand as well and it was great fun they had a uh, they had the Mandalorians and one starfighter on stage for people to take pictures with and uh, they were giving out free Mandalorian Ego waffles with ice cream. <laughs> and uh grogu uh fruit snacks it was all great fun i, love I think it. The, the, that naboo starfighter mandalorian's uh new ship is the one that they had on display at d23 isn't it yeah yeah i think they had it at celebration at the mandalorian experience that, as well yeah that's what i meant actually celebration 
Yeah, uh, how did you watch the movie with a N1 Starfighter on the on the stage? I was surprised by how fast they cleared that thing off the stage. So they had it set up as the photo op, and you had to go backstage to get the photo op. Then Dave Filoni and John Favreau came out to introduce the episode, and the curtain dropped behind them. And by the time they were done speechifying, in less than a, a minute or two, um, it was gone, and the screen had replaced it. <laughs> It probably doesn't weigh as much as it looks. It's probably like, you know. It's it's probably on wheels, too. Yeah. yeah. And maybe True. David Blaine was there to help. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, usually we start these things. Well, first of all, we usually we start these things with feedback. We get to your feedback, uh, you listening to this, your questions, comments, speculation. You can send them to peter at slashfilm.com. So if there's nothing, if, if there's something we didn't don't mention about uh, mention in this episode, please send us. Uh, your thoughts, your feedback, your speculation, and maybe we'll read it in a future episode. But then we go on to brief reactions. Uh, Brian, you've you've seen two episodes, so how do you want to do this? Um, I mean, I can be good about not mentioning the second episode because we'll probably want to talk about that more next week. Okay, so um, you can give us your... I can give brief thoughts about both episodes. I don't know. You tell me. This is your show. <laughs> How about this? Give, give, give your brief reaction to both episodes without giving any spoilers whatsoever. And of course, I should say we never give spoilers when we have seen stuff ahead of time. So do not expect Brian to give anything away that he knows. So with the first episode, my brief reactions of the first episode are that they really they dove feet first into reestablishing a new status quo for the show. Like they wasted no time. Uh, just getting back to that one-off weekly adventure show that The Mandalorian has been since the beginning, and we went on a really cool adventure. Having said all that, I think the second episode is better. I I, I don't know what what else to say about the second episode. It just kind of builds on everything and um, pays some really cool stuff off. Brad, you've only seen one episode. What did you, what did you think of the first uh, the, the chapter seventeen? I should say uh, it was solid. I uh, I'm not over the moon for it necessarily. It kind of felt like a uh, we actually have a story about about this on Slash Film where it said it felt like now that's what I call Star Wars uh, because <laughs> it ha- has some like you know key set pieces that are like you know kind of uh, pillars of a lot of Star Wars movies things that you expect to happen. Uh, and it was also short. I was expecting maybe a little bit more, but this this kind of it felt like the like the opposite of a um, of a penultimate episode of a season because like the penultimate episode of a season does a lot of table setting uh, for what's going to happen in the finale, and this felt like it was table setting uh, for like the the entire season and like just really setting stuff up and not necessarily necessarily evolving the story too much. Um, but it was, there was still some cool stuff that happened and it, it was, you know, interesting to come back to the, the show after being away for two years. Yeah. I, I was actually kind of surprised at how, and we could talk about this in, in our breakdown, how this episode kind of dealt with the events of book of Boba Fett, which <laughs> and by me saying it dealt with them, it didn't even mention them, but like either you, you, you saw the episodes and you, I don't know. It, it's weird. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but I don't know. It, it's just cool to be back in this world. It's cool to have a Star Wars TV show with you know with with cities full of aliens, uh, creatures, droids, uh, 
you know, no knock against Andor. I guess it is a knock against Andor. I loved Andor, but like it really felt to me like uh, the person making it didn't want a, to be a, a Star trade-off. Wars. Yeah, it's a trade off, Peter. Do you want aliens or better writing? Why? Why does it have to be a trade off, Brian? <laughs> I, I, do, I I don't know. There there. Are, I, I'm sure that as we get into more <laughs> cosmopolitan parts of Andor, we'll get more aliens, but. Why, 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 can't, why can't a smart writer just write a Star Wars thing that has aliens and droids in it? Honestly, I wonder if part of it is just the, 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 the budget, right? Yeah. With Andor, it's like they're, cry, they're trying to cram 12 episodes of content into yeah, yeah. You know, a budget for four episodes of Mandalorian. But I will say there was some cool action in this, uh, the opening set piece and also the the dog fight and, uh, you know, some of the some of the cute little alien stuff, which we'll get to is is made my week, made my month. I loved it. Uh, I will say this. I had this conversation with Brad. We got screeners for this yesterday afternoon. And uh, this conversation with Brad, I was like, so, Brad, you're only going to watch one episode of this, right? He was like, fine. Yeah, yeah, I guess specular. I can wait. And then I texted him back. I was like, you know, if you want to, you could see the, episode, the second episode. And he was like, uh, I'll probably just wait anyways. Well, Brad, Did you I, watch the second episode, I, Peter? I, I couldn't wait. <laughs> so I Peter! The second episode. Come on! I don't know. How can you do like, It was on the screener. I will say that I will not, again, will not spoil anything in the episode. Uh, but yes, Brian is right. It is a better episode, and I can't wait for you guys to see it next week. Well, I'm going so, to watch it as soon as I'm done with this podcast, probably. <laughs> At least I didn't have a choice, Peter. <laughs> oh, yeah, you were in a theater. Well, you could have left yeah. the theater. I Not for this. <laughs> <laughs> not, not for this podcast? No, no. That's why, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't begrudge any of you that. If they would have showed, showed us even more, I would have been like, yeah, that's fair. I mean, to be fair, like these episodes, the Mandalorian episodes sometimes just end, right? Yeah. Like it ends and like it feels like almost like it's a movie and it should have like they cut off, they just chose an arbitrary like point where it does kind of leave on a like a little bit of cliffhanger, but it feels like it. I need to see more. And, uh, you know, when I after I, I had told Brad he could watch more, I was like, you know, I need to see more. So... <laughs> That was it. You were you were preemptively giving Brad permission because yes. you're going to want his forgiveness. Totally. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, let's whatever, get into whatever. it. Let's uh, let's talk about. Um, actually, before we get into the episode, let's talk about the director. The director of this episode is Rick Famu Iwa. I think is how you pronounce his last name. Famu Iwa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's. Uh, I remember seeing he had a, a dramedy at Sundance probably 10 years ago at this point dope which i really loved he he directed the second episode of season one uh which had mando versus the jawas i think might have been his episode and also the prison heist in that season and then also in season two he directed chapter 15 uh the believer which was when mando and migs mayfield uh had to break into an imperial facility get the coordinates to Moff Gideon's ship, and this is where Mando had to take off his helmet and acquire the codes, and Boba Fett comes to the safe. Anyways, he's directing three episodes of this season, apparently, and this is the first one. He's directing the last two as well. So he's gotten, like, uh, the, you know, 
I don't know. He's kind of become a big guy in this Mandalorian world. He's like a well, big they, producer. Yeah, they made him an executive producer as well. They just really liked working with him, it seems, and and brought him in because they they really liked his perspective. Yeah, and I, I've I've overall liked his his episodes. I particularly like the Jawa episode, and I, I know some people didn't like that prison heist episode because it was like the same set over and over again. But I don't know. I thought it was inventive and uh, fun, but. Um, Brad, any thoughts on Rick? Yeah, I mean, he's been a, a great part of the Mandalorian so far. And, uh, you know, he's definitely someone, too, who, like, I mean, any number of these Mandalorian directors, I would like to see them get a crack at a movie at some point. But, you know, there's only so many of those they have to give out right now. Yeah. I'm surprised that I, Migs uh, Mayfield wasn't in this episode because he seems to, like, direct <laughs> episodes starring him, or co-starring him. I um, I really, I got to talk to him before the premiere and I really loved, like, where he's coming from with this, like, cinematic influences. He talked about how – he talked to me about how he went back to Charlie Chaplin's The Kid to direct that second episode of Mandalorian. Because oh, he's wow. like, it's all, it's all silent. And, like, how do they interact together? And how do you tell a story in that silence? And then um, the one I really liked was uh, he talked to me about how influential The Wages of Fear – was on that episode where Miggs Mayfeld and uh, Din Jaren have to sneak into that facility and how, like, only in that, that absence of fear can you be totally fearless and, like, prodding a dude the way Miggs Mayfeld was Din Jaren and just sort of, like, poking at his beliefs and stuff from that perspective of Wages of Fear. So, like, yeah, that guy's got my seal of uh, he knows his cinema and knows what he's doing. Yeah. Okay, let's get into it. Uh, I know we talked back when we were we were doing the Book of Boba Fett. We were like, you know, how is this going to work? Like, if in the future someone wants to watch The Mandalorian, like, are they going to watch season one of The Mandalorian and then season two and then, like, have to watch The Book of Boba Fett? Are those two episodes in The Book of Boba Fett that, uh, you know, are strongly Mandalorian episodes to un- understand where you are when you get into season three? And when the previously on came on the screen and basically didn't recap anything that happened in the book of Boba Fett, I was shocked. It's not, it's not true. I mean, like, all of the stuff with the armorer and yeah. him being an apostate, that was all book of Boba Fett. And when you think about it, those are the most important parts. Um, what, what are you talking about? The the Mandalorian season two left to, off with, with, with Grogu going with Luke saying no, goodbye. No, I understand. <laughs> that's like... That's like um, but imagine w- binge watching the show, having no idea that the Book of Boba Fett was an in- integral thing, having a huge emotional goodbye with the face touching and, and all that stuff, and then the next episode loads and they're just back together again. So I guess like the way I look at it is that Star Wars is episodic and it skips over huge stuff all the time anyway. Imagine watching attack of the clones and then all of the clone wars and then coming into revenge of the sith and going like i can't believe they cut ahsoka from all of this (laughs) like it doesn't have any of the emotional weight like think about how emotional that moment was you know what i mean like yeah that wasn't the thrust of the story the thrust the central narrative of this season uh seems to be din's quest and that's what they focused on and when grief karga mentions it and Din says it's complicated. That's it's the same sort of answer that you'll get 
uh, you know, in Return of the Jedi when Luke discovers that that Leia's his sister and she's like, what's wrong? And he's like, ask me again sometime because it's just not right for the narrative to to dive deep into it. Brad, what are your thoughts on how this 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 episode treated the Book of Boba Fett? No, it was it's it's pretty frustrating because it's like there's some pretty big touchstones here that they should have covered and it kind of like glosses over them. Even even in the episode itself, like you feel like that there would have been a better way to touch upon uh, what happened because those are those are some big moments in Book of Boba Fett and uh, sure, like you can only do so much in the previously on thing, but if you if you didn't watch Book of Boba Fett at all and you started watching Mandalorian season three without looking anything up on it it's it's got to be thoroughly confusing to all of a sudden be like oh uh, grogu and mando are back together oh okay it's just shocking to me that they couldn't edit like a 10 second thing into that (laughs) that previously on to explain it because it i don't know i just feel like it would be such a shock i mean guys we we have all seen all three of these seasons of tv you know, we're not missing out on anything, but it, I just feel bad well, for someone who doesn't see Book, Book of Boba Fett. I guess the thing is, though, too, for casual viewers, what is it they're watching the show for? The the adventures, you know, the Lone Wolf and Cub adventures. But right? I think they're watching the, the show for growth. I think there's a lot more people. I think if you ask Dave Filoni and John Favreau why people are watching the show, I think... Filoni's going to tell you it's about the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian people, and he thinks it's a lot about that. And I think John Favreau would go, would would agree with that. And I think 60, 70 percent of the people watching the show just want to see Baby Yoda. Which is why like, not being dismissive, but I, I think. Well, but but I, I think that that speaks to my point, too, where it's just like everybody here wants to see Baby Yoda. He's back. Yeah, we did that in a different show. But I mean, what part of Din Jaren's explanation to Grief Karga like wasn't enough? I get that it was a really His emotional moment. Was, it's complicated. No, because he said, "I know that uh, you know, uh, I fulfilled my quest. I delivered and he, and he with people, to me. And, he, and he returned to me." Yeah, yeah, like, like you have all the pieces there, and you have enough to infer uh, or to uh, to infer what happened. It's I, I, I think what it's going to do is whoever didn't watch Book of Boba Fett, which one thing to uh, you know remember is that Book of Boba Fett's season finale numbers were higher than Mandalorian season two's finale numbers. Right. Like more people like it's just snowballing in the amount of viewers that are watching it. I don't think as many people are lost as they seem to as the pearl clutching would imply. Yeah. I don't, I don't think lost is the way I'm not saying lost. I'm just saying, I don't know. I, I get not addressing it in the show because in the show, the story has continued. Do you know what I mean? Like we're cutting. Yeah, and you're, and you're not going to, you're not going to have Mando be like, be like, well, Luke Skywalker showed up and man, there was this fight and <laughs> I, I don't even know grief. Yeah. Like you're not going to have that, but like they could have done it in the previously on, I feel like. But anyways, that's just my criticism, but I, it's not anything that like, I don't care. I really don't care, but it just seems like a weird decision to me. I wish I could understand I why. <laughs> I would be shocked if people are still talking about it in two or three weeks. Because either everybody's going to just like yeah. get on board with the new status quo, or they're going to go back and watch Book of Boba Fett, and then that's and then that's it, right? Yeah, but I mean, that could have been an opportunity, Brian. If I'm Disney... 
and I want more people to watch Book of Boba Fett, and I want to maybe do a season two of that down the line or something. Why not put in the previously on, you know, oh, and here's a scene from Book of Boba Fett They like, is essential, you know, and, oh, I need to see that, and then, like, you'd get people to go, you know, watch the same, you know, they already put, paid for Disney+, Plus, you know, to flip over to the other tile and watch Book of Boba Fett. I don't know. It's just, see, it, it's baffling Mike. to me. Is what I'm saying. Like, not my, in the show my, itself, but the previously on is the thing. That's my bad. guess is they've got the numbers to see that they didn't need to do it. Yeah. That's my guess. They've got the data to say, like, not important. You're probably right. Uh, okay, so the Star Wars brand opening usually has characters from throughout the Star Wars movies. Sometimes it has some hints to some characters from that series. This one opens with the helmet of Darth Vader, but then. Every character that follows is actually a character that's appeared in the Mandalorian so far. So we have R2-D2, Fennec Shand, an Imperial TIE fighter, pilot, uh, Bo-Katan, IG-11, a scout trooper, the armor, and Mando himself. I bring this up because it's something I noticed and it probably means nothing. But but the, so, so, uh, so Darth Vader is going to play into this series is what I'm saying. No. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Darth okay. Vader's dead, and so are none of his grandchildren. <laughs> okay, so uh, this episode begins with the armorer using her tools to craft a Mandalorian helmet. It's very cool imagery here. Uh, I think uh, the, the thing that stood out to me the most is I thought it was interesting that the armorer is the one who paints the helmet. I just thought that the armorer would craft the helmet. I always assumed that it was the Mandalorian who chooses, like... It, their colors or or maybe it's uh based on you know what clan or you know the are they uh i mean is, uh, you know maybe they asked for it too yeah i mean that's fair um, uh did you, any of you did either of you have any thoughts on this whole sequence so in the in the theater you could tell there was this very palpable sort of like excitement like oh man she's making a helmet for grogu because it was small and then there was this like slight like oh like when they realized it was for this other kid like oh. it was it was interesting how that played with an audience and it makes me mad that they don't just let us watch these in the theaters every saturday morning with a group of people i would have liked to have had you know i kind of had a different uh journey with this i thought that they were doing a flashback to mando becoming a or din jarin becoming a mandalorian and then, obviously, once they got outside the cage, I, I realized it was not. But because then you saw, uh, you know, some characters we had seen previously, and it wouldn't make sense for them <laughs> to to be there. But I guess it wouldn't make sense for the uh, the armor to be that old either. But who knows? Well, it's not like we've seen her face. Yeah, yeah. you never know. Uh, okay, so dozens of Mandalorian gather for a ceremony at the edge of this barren lake, and the clan has grown in size. Uh, you noted this in your your review, Brian, uh, from uh, a few to dozens. So I, I guess the big question here is how much time has passed. And this is something that we've talked at length many times on this podcast in the past. We've like, you know, we've heard Brian say like, you know, it's between three to five years after Return of the Jedi, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, now we're, time is passing over the seasons and even like spinoff shows, you know, how much time has passed. And then there's this confusing quote that we're going to read in a second. Actually, I'll read the quote. Okay. Uh, you wrote this up for the site, I know. Uh, so Favreau and Flinney, 
uh, were on. They're speaking to the Sky Talkers at a press junket. No, so it was it was a roundtable interview. I was actually in the roundtable. Oh, okay. Um, then why don't you tell us? And about it was. So it was Trisha Barr from Fangirls Going Rogue who asked the question. Sky Talkers just happened to post it first. Ah. Um, and uh, basically she was asking a question about Grogu and that development of the characters. And Favreau was giving this explanation about how it's been two years since he was left with Luke. And we sort of – it rolled right off of us and then sort of another podcast sort of said like, wait a second. Is he saying that – that he was with Luke for two years? Or... Let me read the quote. This is what he says. Okay. He says, We know that he's been rescued and spent many years with the Mandalorian. Went back with Luke. Now we've been two years apart from him. They're training. So there's two two things I wanted to dissect here. The I think the interesting thing that everybody's focusing on is the two years apart from their training. But the other thing they I, I think people aren't focusing on is that uh, he spent many years with the Mandalorian, which to me, many, I mean, many could be anything, but it, it, it definitely means more than one. And that means the Mandalorian season one and season two took place over, I would think that would mean at least a few years, right? Yeah. Well, it. I, I've, I've beat this drum before, and in the coverage I wrote for the site, I kind of reiterated this. Um the amount of time is going to be flexible based on what their storytelling desires in the future are. But until they say it, and they've just said it. Yeah. Well, but... no, 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 not in this show. Yeah, yeah. Until they say it in the show. And Favreau, uh, so this this quote from this roundtable I was in lit up the internet and Variety asked Favreau about it on the red carpet yesterday, and Favreau elaborated and said that he feels like um, he, uh, Grogu had spent a real time amount, like the time we spent away from him between the seasons and whatnot is pretty accurate in his mind of how long he was with Luke and then back with Din Djarin. So that would be a, a couple year of to years. two years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and that tracks as far as the timeline and the progression of the stories in the show, right? Like when Din finds the Mandalorian covert in Book of Boba Fett, it's just the armorer and Paz Vizsla. And now they either they took over an orphanage or they're adopting people and finding them and sort of expanding their order exponentially. So that sort of implies their numbers imply that a, a lot of time has passed. And the changes of Navarro imply a lot of time has passed. And Bo-Katan mentions that, like, everyone was following her, but since she didn't have the Darksaber, they all just sort of started scattering. And that implies some time has passed. But in this first scene, when Din shows up with that piece of, uh, you know, glass of Mandalorian writing, um, that's not something we'd seen before. Yeah. And so, like, he's obviously been doing some adventuring and being out since his time on Book of Boba Fett. So there's definitely some pretty big gaps in time there. And you can squish them together if you need to or stretch them out if you need to. But until there's a huge, like, event that anchors them into a and pins them into one specific time on screen, they're never going to tell us anything exact. 
I mean, I agree with that. I, I think the most surprising thing is probably the Luke thing because uh, two years of Jedi training seem seems like a lot to me. But I don't know. It's it's like well, you know I mean, what what did, what did Grogu learn in those two years? Well, like Luke says, it's less like he's learning and more like he's just unlocking his memories. Yeah. Um, and but I mean, timelines have always been squishy in Star Wars. Try. Don't think too hard about the timeline and Empire and how long it would have taken Han and Leia to get to Cloud City using only the sublight drive and how much time that would have put Luke on Dagobah training. Brad, <laughs> Brad do you have any thoughts on, on all this? Initially, I thought that it didn't make sense and Favreau was just kind of like <laughs> making something up on the spot. But once I actually I read Brian's uh, explanation about like how time has unfolded i just i never really like pieced together there was probably more time in between shows and certain events and yeah. w- once brian broke it down it actually made sense to me so so i'm not mad about it anymore oh i'm not mad about it either i just think it's interesting um Yay, I, I i changed brad's heart <laughs> <laughs> okay so dozens of uh mandalorian gather at the ceremony and um I got to say, I love all the colorful armor, uh, you know, all, all the different colors. Is this kind of like a baptism of Mandalorian? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Is, is there anything that you noticed in the in the ceremony to point out? Or it, I mean, I saw like obviously Mythosaur was on like a banner or something. But uh, yeah, no, there was there was the that that sort of uh, F thing that's on Boba Fett's armor too um that that symbol um uh I'll be honest I've only had a chance to watch the episode once and it was that one time on the big screen I haven't been able to go back and do my my freeze frame I had to do my detailed coverage at three in the morning from memory wow um so if I missed anything huge please excuse me well, uh, I have the benefit of having seen it three times to, <laughs> to know. Um, so the, the armorer presents the helmet to a boy standing in the lake who needs to commit to the Mandalorian Creed. And, you know, who do we think this boy is? And I, I have an answer here before you, you, you tell me any more. But the actor here is Wesley Kimmel, who, before you ask, yes, is the nephew of late night talk show host jimmy kimmel uh he played a tuscan kid in the book of boba fett he was the boy in the commercials in wandavision and in the credits his character is credited as ragnar which is a word that brian might recognize because it's a system that exists in the star wars galaxy it's the home of the ragnar syndicate a a chapter in the bounty hunters guild uh ragnar Eight was first mentioned in the 1994 source book, uh, Galaxy Guide 10 Bounty Hunters by Rick D. Stewart for West End Games, Star Wars role-playing game, which has Pablo's name all over it. So I don't know if that has if that connects in any way, but I just wanted to mention it because Ragnar is such a unique word that it doesn't, doesn't, seem, doesn't seem coincidental. But uh, Brad... Do you have any theories on who this boy is? Does he have any, like, I feel like it's a setup for later in the season, right? Uh, I mean, not necessarily. Like, 
I feel like if you're going to have someone who is uh, just Jimmy Kimmel's nephew play a role like this, it's probably not going to be a big role, especially because. Well, I should say he's an actor. He's not. This is not just like a cameo thing. Like he's aspiring actor or not aspiring. He's a working actor. He just happens to be. I just feel I don't know. I this just felt like a way of like introducing the idea that that the the Mandalorians around the armor have like grown in numbers and just establishing the community uh that there is rather than being something that like will be significant later on brian any thoughts on if we'll see any more ragnar um whether we see more ragnar or not i think this motif and this idea is going to come back um through the season and i think everything we're seeing everywhere din goes is a setup for future play in the season yeah he also kind of shares the same colors as Paz Vizsla, which means, does that mean he's part of that group? I mean, he's obviously part of this clan, but does that mean anything? Do do we know anything about that, Brian? Do, like, colors syndicate, uh, like, indicate that you're part of, like, a specific group within a clan? Do you know what I mean? No, um, I think it's a lot of, like, they they haven't established a lot of this in the new canon, if that makes sense. Right. Um, so like there were definitely like colors and helmet types and things like that, that sort of like, you'll notice a lot of the, the, um, Mandalorians tied to clan Krees, which is Bo-Katan sect will wear, like the women will wear those night owl sort of style visors. Um, like Bo-Katan has stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but the colors just sort of change with, you know, the people wearing them. Otherwise wouldn't Boba have mimicked. Well, I guess Boba's not a Mandalorian, so it doesn't matter. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, a giant creature bursts out of the water, uh, mid ceremony. Uh, the audio description track calls it a giant dinosaur turtle. Looks more like an alligator with a shell to me, but I don't know. Um, Brad, any thoughts on this creature and this whole action scene that follows? I mean, it was a super cool uh, creature, and it was a, a fun, exciting uh, action set piece to open up the, the show. So I, I liked it. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Brian, do you have anything? I really liked how it kept it kept me even as a very tapped in viewer guessing about when the timeline was because 
I was sort of shocked by that idea. We talked about like that, that time gap, right? Like, is this the covert today? Is this the covert from the past? I don't know. Um, and watching this, I felt really excited because I didn't know when to place it. And then when, you know, the cavalry arrives, I'm like, okay, I know exactly when this is in the timeline and all the pieces and questions about it fell into place. For sure. Um, I, I loved, uh, I love the Mando and jetpacks trying to take it down by placing chargers on his back, but obviously the armored back shielded it. I loved uh, the Mandos trying to hold it with the, their grappling hooks, and then it just, like, rolls over, like my dog, when it's, like, scratching its back. And it just, like, throws them all over the place. And uh, I also... Uh, we, we saw, like, one of the Mandalorian being eaten. We saw one, like, thrown around like a rag doll, another one crushed. Uh, but... And, and Paz Vizsla saves that boy, the boy with the new helmet, uh, Ragnar, uh, before the Mando's N1 starfighter comes in to save. And I, I think I think by that point, I think you probably knew before everybody else, Brian, by seeing Paz Vizsla and all that. But I think when that starfighter comes into the sky, everybody's like, oh, I know where we are now. Well, the reason Paz Vizsla wasn't a dead giveaway to me is that there were other Mandalorians that were similarly outfitted and with that same, um, with that same, like, just girth of a hu- of of being of a human being, in the flashback scenes of Din getting rescued. Oh, there are really okay. That big though, that like like he's kind um, of like a bigger, a thicker I dude. Mean, I feel like there were, maybe there weren't, but maybe it's also just like, it It wouldn't, like, there's nothing that ages Paz Vizsla either. Like, he could be in his 50s, right? And, yeah. or his 60s, and he's been around forever, or or it could be before, it could be on their way to Navarro, it could be, like, it, it, Paz Vizsla wasn't the, okay, this is the present, it was the number of Mandalorians that had me guessing. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Um, okay, so uh, they they kill this monster. Gore and blood explodes everywhere. I liked it. Uh, title screen, chapter seventeen, the apostate. Um, and here's the moment in the podcast where I ask Brian to try to explain explain the 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 title of the the chapter and does it have any extra meanings to it? The apostate is a person who forsakes. A religion or a political belief or principle. He didn't really forsake. I guess it was his decision to take off his mask, so he did forsake. But it was yeah. It so, was. what are your thoughts on the title? I think it sort of refers to all the major players in this episode. It refers to Grogu, who was an apostate from the Jedi. Oh, it, it refers to Din and his quest. Uh, it refers to, um, well, it refers to Bo Katan. Because in Din's eyes, she's already an apostate, which is why I thought it was so clever that they put the, you know, you've taken your helmet off, like you're not a Mandalorian in the previously on. Um, and then um, there was, uh, and then with uh, Grief, right? Like Grief has completely abandoned his ne'er-do-well ways. He's going to apostate from the pirates. So the apostate really applies to all of the major characters across um, the story, even IG-11, right, is an apostate to his improved programming. 
I love this reading on it. I, I actually did not put that together. That's great. Um, okay, so the armorer kind of repeats what she has said to the Mandalorian previously. Uh, he broke the code. There's no, he's no longer a Mandalorian. Mandalorian or Din Djarin presents a relic from Mandalore that seems to prove that the surface of the planet might not be as destroyed or poisonous as initially believed. Which is weird to me that like no, like none of these people have gone back there. Like it seems like something you you do, but well, but I think from the armorer's perspective, it's cursed. Like it doesn't matter if it's actually cursed; it's religiously cursed. Yeah. Um. Well, interesting thing here, Brian. I'm not sure if you heard this, but someone on Reddit, a guy named General Anubis, actually screenshotted this, uh, this, this uh, relic because it had some writing on it that is actually like the Mandalorian script or whatever it's called and uh, actually did a translation of it and according to General Anubis I've I've not uh, done this but some other people have verified it so I'm going to read it anyways Uh, apparently the the writing is an excerpt from the Bible Exodus 10 5 to 6 of the King James Version Uh, I'll read it to you. And they shall cover the face of the earth that one cannot be able to see the earth and they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field and they shall fill thy house in the houses of all thy servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor their fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth until this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. Brian, do you have any thoughts on why the prop maker chose this excerpt from the Bible for this relic that, you know, I'm guessing... They had to assume someone was going to translate. Because it looked more exciting than Lorem Ipsum in that Mando script. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It probably was like, what my guess would be is the prop maker made a whole bunch, and this is the one that they liked the most, and the prop maker's just in the back sweating like, oh, man, that's the Bible quote one. (laughs) Like, are they really going to use that for a close-up? That's not good. Uh. Uh, okay, so uh, the conversation is also canon, canonizing a Legends concept known as glassing, uh, which was an expanded universe thing where uh, the Empire would bomb an entire planet to render it uh, like inhabitable, describing it as glassing um, because the heat uh, crystallizes the surface. I think that's pretty common in science fiction um, generally. I know that in Battletech we use that term. Oh really? Um, yeah, it's 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 a pretty common sci-fi trope. Okay, uh, Mando's plan is to visit Mandalore and bathe in the waters beneath the mines of Mandalore to be redeemed. And I think it's interesting here that she kind of pauses. The armor kind of pauses reluctantly, and then says, "This is the way." Uh, Brad, do you have any any thoughts on what she is thinking? Like, what is going on here? Like. Does she think he's going to do it? Do you think if he does it, then he's back in? Like, what is going on here? 
I think it's more of a like a uh, okay. I mean, go, like <laughs> you, you go ahead and give it your best shot. Uh, Brian, what do you think? Do you think like she's such a like a believer in the code that like if he does do it and he has proof, then he's back in. Yeah, I, I think she's just like I think she's actually weighing with hesitancy. Like this guy's never gonna do this. Yeah, like like sure. Sure. It, it felt like a very sarcastic, like, yeah, this is the way. Yeah, the uh, the N1 Starfighter travels through hyperspace. This is one of the more interesting moments of this episode. I think uh, people that have seen a lot of Star Wars stuff might be talking about it. And uh, people that are more like on the surface level probably are like, what was that? Okay. Uh, so it's traveling through hyperspace and Grogu reaches out to the window and because he's like... While traveling through hyperspace, you see this creature, like a huge creature, traveling at the same speed. Brian, what what are these creatures? So these are pergils. These are um, many spacers refer to these as nuisances and try to kill them on sight because they crash so many ships. Um, because they are they are uh, giant space whales capable of traveling through hyperspace just sort of naturally. They eat these natural gas deposits in space, and that gives them the energy to to travel through hyperspace. Um, They play a really important part in the Rebels' story, and in turn are going to play a very important part in Ahsoka's story. And so seeing them in live action for the first time feels like uh, closing the loop on something from Rebels, but opening a door for something for Ahsoka. So you don't think the the space whales, I'm going to call them, uh, you don't think that they're going to have a a role in this show? Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, if, if Ahsoka comes back, I mean, the thing is, is, I don't know how familiar you both are with Rebels. I assume you both have seen Rebels. I have. Brad, Brad? Have you, you, did you finish Rebels? I did not. Oh, no. Well, I'm sorry. I'm going to spoil the end of it for you. Oh, no, that's fine. It's too much okay. time has gone by to worry about spoilers at this point. Okay. S- spoilers well, for I the, worry... at the end of uh, Star Wars Rebels coming up. It's not the time. It's that I worry about your personal enjoyment of it because it is a really cool moment. Um, just because it, it's, it's really cool. But at the end of Star Wars Rebels, um, Grand Admiral Thrawn battles back the rebels of Lothal, Ezra, Hera, Zeb, everyone to this standstill. And Ezra has a plan that he has seen in the Force and knows how it can work. And and so these Pergils uh, actually are part of it, and they're very tied into the Force. And Ezra has this gift to be able to sort of, like, talk to these very Force-sensitive animals and, and soothe them, um, which is something he learned over his journey. And he surrenders himself to Grand Admiral Thrawn and that's when he enacts his plan and these Pergils sort of arrive in orbit outside of Lothal and they all just use their tentacles and their mass to grapple around the entire fleet of of Thrawn's ships and they, they take them all out in hyperspace into the middle of the unknown regions as far as they can take them and we never see or hear from Thrawn or Ezra again. And that's the quest that Sabine and Ahsoka are going on on Ahsoka's show to go find Ezra because of the the Pergils and what they did. Um, And so seeing them here, even if it was just 
nothing more than a beautiful moment, I'd buy that. But it could also be um, using them as these things in the forest. Like every time Grogu seems to encounter a creature, it's something that's evil and wants to eat him. And he has to use the force to repel it. But this time it was much softer and it was much gentler. And and it felt like when he reached out to the glass that he might have been feeling them in the force as well. That that's, that's how he noticed them. And uh, it could be indicative of that, that gap in time with, with some of his training and how differently he reacts to these things as he does other creatures in, in other episodes. Whether that's the Mudhorn or anything else. Uh, I'm I'm curious to see if this comes into play later on in the season. I could definitely see them coming into play in Ahsoka, but I don't know. It seems like a very specific moment to put in this first episode. It seems like a setup to me. It doesn't seem like just just a beautiful moment. Yeah, I I thought that especially just because if you're going to bring something like that from animation into live action, like that's not going to be their only appearance where you can't even see what they look like when it's just yeah. like their silhouette in hyperspace. Yeah, um, but you know, uh, put a bookmark on that because I, I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to come back, and uh, they don't come back. Or I don't know that they come back in the rest of the season. So, um, the so the ship lands on Navarro, and the city looks like it has a lot of newly constructed buildings. It has a lot more greenery. It's a lot of construction. Uh, it's you know obviously showing that time has gone by and Mando walks with Grogu's floating in his pram through the streets of Navarro and I gotta admit I thought we were done with this pram thing I thought after he spent two years with Luke and we saw him like jumping like a frog and (laughs) you know jumping around like uh, Yoda and uh, walking and stuff I thought we were going to be done with the, the, the baby pram but I know this is a different one. It's obviously metal and it's cooler looking and it's like It makes it makes sense too because like it probably he it's he's got such tiny legs. If he's walking everywhere, it's going to take a while for him to keep up. Yeah. And if he's going to use the force to hop around, like that's going to like tire him. And so it makes sense to just sit in the thing that hovers and allows you to just like, you know, keep all of your energy. Yeah, f- fair enough. Um it was great to see a Star Wars city so filled with creatures, aliens and droids. Uh Anything worth mentioning as we made our way into Navarro? I think there was like a bunch of shots here. Yeah, I think there's definitely. Well, for one, we got more aliens. We got we got a, uh, you know, uh, a Mon Cal. Yeah. Um, but no, I I think there's this really stark contrast between the walk through the street of of Navarro in the first episode or two. Like, remember even just using the Kowakian monkey lizards as a benchmark, right? In that first episode, it was like they were in cages, they were on spits, uh, you know, they were being sold for meat. And here they are, like, roaming around the trees like it's this jungle paradise. Everything's clean now. Like, if before the marketplace looked like a wretched hive of scum and villainy, now it looks more like Main Street USA at Disneyland. It does. It looks a lot more peaceful. Like there's like this pet bat looking creature on the shoulder of like some guy that walks by. There's a six armed chef droid chopping up some items and grilling it in the street. Uh, I'm so glad they brought that droid back. That's that's the content from Book of Boba Fett. They really needed to bring into this more than anything. (laughs) Why? 
because it's cool. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, I agree with you there. Uh, there's a white protocol droid. Is this K3PO from Empire Strikes Back, Brian? No. Probably not. Okay. Uh, there's also a quartet of alien street musicians, which... Uh, because I, I, I relate everything to theme parks and galaxies. I'm like, why doesn't Galaxy Its Edge have a quartet of alien street musicians? I'd love that. Because but, uh, they would have to pay cast members for that. I know. Not just cast members. They would have to pay uh, gilded actor or musicians to wear <laughs> facial prosthetics and stuff like that. So th- those cost more than the like $15 an hour cast members. Which are still way underpaid, I should say. Anyways, uh, so they come to the memorial of IG-11, which is in the center of town, and is actually apparently composed of actual remains of the droid, which I don't know how that happened because the droid self-destructed, but apparently there's remains of the droid. And uh, Grief Karga arrives and is trailed by two tiny wheeled foot droids holding up the trail of his robe. I love the details of this. This is like this, I don't know. When I say, like, uh, I'm not going to say this every episode, so I apologize. I'll say this just a couple more times in this episode. But these are the kind of things I missed in in Andor, is like little details like those little droids holding up his cape. <laughs> I don't know. I, I love it. Uh, but anyway, so Grief Karga tells Mando that Navarro has a huge construction boom is becoming an official trade spur for the Hydean way. Brian, what is the Hydean way? Um, it's a hyperspace route that connects the outer rim to the core worlds and then the core worlds to the corporate sector. Um, in the old legends canon, again, dating back to the old West end role-playing games, it was the only hyperspace route that sort of bisected the galaxy. Um, and was a very important route there. And uh, interestingly, in Legends, in the Knights of the Old Republic video game, the Mandalorians actually blockaded the Hydean Way with Mandalorian cruisers and created an economic crisis for the Republic and brought it to its knees um, by by blocking it up. So I don't think it's an accident that they reference that Navarro's along the Hydean Way here because I think that there's a lot of Mandalorian history that sort of uh, touches on it in the Legends universe. So is this like um? So so it's basically like one of the biggest highways. Yeah, that, yeah. that's exactly the the way to think about it. Especially with how they're sort of redefining a little bit about how hyperspace works in High Republic, as we're learning about hyperspace prospectors and things and the routes that people take. It's it is very much like that old frontier, like um. Well, you can't get a train through here. We can't lay tracks through here because the grade is too steep. We got to go somewhere else. But it's like that with like heavenly bodies and, you know, making sure people can't, you know, don't bounce too close to a star or, you know, whatever. Um, and did you know that this, this is the second time that this is actually mentioned in Mandalorian? In chapter 12, a teacher was teaching uh, her classroom, actually, the same classroom we're about to see in just a little bit about a major, a major hyperspace trade routes and uh, like Krillian run and ID in way. Anyways. Um, so Karga offers to set Mando up with land on the planet. Uh, he has ulterior motives. He wants him to be the new, um, 
Marshall. Uh, but Mando doesn't have time to settle down. Meanwhile, Gorgu is forced turning himself in in the office chair and telekinetically, uh, tele, yeah, telekinetically eating the candy on his desk. Brad, you you are the one that runs the Instagram uh, account. Uh, wait, what is your Instagram account called? It's Brad's junk. Brad's look at junk. Brad's junk. At, look at Brad's junk on Instagram. Do it. Yes, it's it's all about uh, candy this and stuff. This feels like a trap. <laughs> you're gonna get banned for that uh for that uh, instagram name no but uh brad i wanted to ask you what do you think these things that that guru is eating taste like that's a good question uh they look like me like like probably some kind of like uh fr- fruity flavored chocolate hmm. see i pictured because they're like red i pictured they were almost like um cinnamon jelly beans where they're sweet and then also a little bit spicy no because i feel like if 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 little little grogu was going to eat something that was a little bit spicy they probably would have had a little fun with that where he's just yeah. like i don't know scrapes out of his mouth or something because it's too hot unless he likes spicy food who knows but yeah i i to me like i was picturing like a almost like a fruity pebbles kind of like chocolate yeah my, um, again, my favorite part uh, of this conversation is that you glossed over the cara dune thing harder than grief karga did Oh, it, 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 it's gonna. Um, it, it's coming up. We're, we're, we're not there yet. It, it's, I have it here, Brian. Don't 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 uh, don't doubt me. No, uh, I just thought it was funny I, because it would be it would be deserving. <laughs> well, the conversation about her beca- comes a little bit later after this pirate gang. Pirate gang is causing trouble outside the schoolhouse, and uh, pirate king Gorian Shard. Uh, treasure helped build this uh, the saloon that was there, but now it was the schoolhouse. Uh, and Shard's men aren't happy of what it's become. And Vane, who is the leader of this gang, uh, is played by Marty uh, Matus, who uh, is one of those guys that plays like bad guys in lots of TV shows. Like I looked him up, and he's played three different villains on Teen Wolf. Not the same villain, like three different villains on the TV show Team Wolf. And he also played three different roles in Star Trek Picard. And uh, yeah, he's like one of those guys. Anyways, uh, how is that possible? I don't know. But uh, he is a, uh, he's like, uh, here he's one of the species that Hondo Anaka is in Clone Wars. What, what is that uh, species? No, um, he's not, like Hondo Anaka is a weak way here. He's a Nikto here. Oh, Okay. I, I, I read the species wrong. Um, and the species of the other pirate crew, did, did you note them, Brian? Um, some of them were, they were all sort of variations on uh, um, Nyctos and Barada. I don't remember what species. I think there was Barata a Trandoshan or something. Yeah, there was a, there was a Trandoshan there, definitely. Um, it looked like there was um, a Keldor without a mask, which I thought was very interesting. Um which is the same species Plo Koon was, which would never surprise me with, with <laughs> Dave Filoni. Yeah. Uh, so Vane threatens Karga, and they have a blaster showdown, and Karga is the quickest of the draw. Very Western vibes here. Uh, Navarro is no longer friendly to pirates, and uh, Mando helps take out the rest of, the, of Vane's gang. And uh, Mando thinks letting Vane go is a bad idea, which Karga says he wants to get the word out that Navarro is now a respectable place. Um, th- thoughts on uh, uh, Brad? Do you have any thoughts on this whole uh, pirate gang sequence? 
Uh, you know, this is one of those things where it just feels like a, an old classic Western thing. It's one of the best things Mandalorian does by bringing Western flares into sci-fi. And so it was, yeah, a cool little moment having Mando kind of chilling on the side, just waiting to see if he's needed. Uh, you know, grief conducting business and really standing his ground and this just pirate just being a, a dickhead. Yeah. I, I loved how they were like, yeah, we're drinking. We're drinking here. This is where we're drinking. And he's like, that's a school. And he's like, cool. Bring the boosts. Like, they don't even care. Like, it is. It was so funny to me. <sighs> okay, well, anyways, uh, Karga, you know, uh, Karga tried to talk Mando into being a, his marshal, which uh, Karga explains that Cara Dune, Cara Dune was recruited by special forces. And in real life, behind the scenes, we know that Gina Carano was fired or not renewed um whatever you however you want to say it uh but this is how they're explaining it in in the show i know uh rick told some press last week uh quote uh cara was a big part and continues as a character to be a part of the world it had to be addressed and creative and john favreau took the time to think about that it was something that was discussed as we knew it was going to have impact on the show but at the same time what has been at the heart of the show is the two characters din and grogu so ultimately it felt like servicing that and around the mandalorians and uh someone asked if kara dune uh is out there in the universe just bounty hunting and floney answered it's a big galaxy we have many characters in it many characters are fighting for their screen time we'll just have to see as the season unfolds and the adventures are but it's a great character, someone who has, who was vital to Din's beginnings. We'll see if he has evolved beyond that. Now, season three is mainly dealing with Mandalorians and Mandalorian saga and the Mandalorian tale. There are different characters he's met since Bo-Katan who take a lot more prominence, which makes sense where his arc is going. The story of him and Grogu specifically. <laughs> so I read into that. They're never going to show Cara Dune again. I, I don't think they'll do it on screen. I think this gives them the best of both worlds where they can say she's off doing special forces stuff. And if they want to bring back the character, they can do it in another media where they don't have to bring her back. Yeah. I just love uh, Filoni is just the best at answering questions. And when someone was like, is, is, if Cara Dune is up there in the bounty in the universe, just like bounty hunter. It's a big galaxy. And we have many characters in it. I don't know. I could just hear that in his voice. He's just so good. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brad, do you think there's any chance we ever see her again in live action? No. This is the, the equivalent, uh, and we wrote this on Slashroom as well, of, of basically Poochie going back to his home planet. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it's the best way to deal with it. Just just write her off, and like we don't ever really have to hear about her ever again. I wish they had ridden her off, like, actually, like, oh, no, she got killed, like, a week after you were here or something. Like, 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 like Happy Gilmore, what happened to your girlfriend? Yeah. Oh, she got hit by a car, she's dead. <laughs> yeah, but I, I well, guess they you couldn't, could... they couldn't send her back to her home planet because it's Alderaan. Uh, that's, that's true, Sam, but true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Actually, that would have been the best thing to do: is send her back to her home planet. Yeah, yes. You okay. just made you just sent her to some dust in the middle of space. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, are you guys happy with how they handled this? Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would have been happy with even less, like, if they just never addressed it. <laughs> What's funny to me is that they addressed it with the same level of detail as the Book of Boba Fett stuff, which leads me to believe that part of the reason, like, if she would have just stayed on the straight and narrow, we wouldn't be watching Mando Season 3 right now. We'd be watching Rangers of the New Republic, which would be her doing that Special Forces stuff. Yeah. And then this would be a throwaway line to that series instead of a throwaway line to her getting poochied. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we learned that Gideon was sent off to a New Republic War Tribunal, and uh, we haven't seen the last of him, right? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, Karga doesn't want to... Well, no, he said, he said he's in season three and there's some ridiculous stuff coming. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, Karga doesn't want to request a marshal f- uh, from the New Republic because they want to be a truly independent trade anchor of the sector. And uh, the real reason Mando is on Navarro is he wants IG-11 back. And here's where I kind of cringed a little bit. Uh, I, I think I've gotten a little bit better with this, but I, I, when, it, when it happened, I was like, oh, no. Uh, I mean, Jeremy on the site wrote a, a post about this, very cynical about it. Uh, I mean, bringing back a droid from the dead isn't like bringing back a human character or someone, you know, it, it's a robot. You're just rebuilding it. Although I will say it does seem a little ridiculous that enough parts survived during the self-destruction or even like his memory unit would have survived. But it's, it's not even that though. Because, and I, uh, J- Jeremy wrote this article and it was based on a, a pitch that I came up with, with Jacob last yeah. night after the episodes. For me, the biggest thing is it feels like it's, it's uh, the same kind of dumb thing they did in rise of Skywalker by giving you this emotional moment and a sacrifice with three PO, you know, uh, sacrificing himself to save the universe, save his friends. You have IG 11 doing the same thing here. And then it's like, Oh, guess what? We're, we're just going to bring him back and everything's going to be fine. But, but I don't think that, I think that that was, I think Din is thinking that in a really naive way. Right. And it doesn't work and it doesn't work at all. Well, yeah. Well, for now it doesn't. But, not, but now he's on a now he's on a quest to like get the thing he does to make it work, and it probably will. And then we're back to square one. I really want you to watch the next episode. Okay. Seems seems like uh, on the on the line of maybe giving something away, but I don't think he gives it. There's no. Yeah, I don't think he's giving anything away. Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, the next episode is good, though. I will say the next episode is good. Okay, so. Uh, Mando tries to repair the top half of IG-11's remains while he is able to power him back up. He's defaulted to his old programming and, be, and tries to murder Grogu, which is the mission he had before he befriended Mando. Uh, and we had one of the, uh, you know, they have to, uh, they, they, they end up taking him out with a bust of Grief Karga. And uh, there's <laughs> that, the, the, is this the worst one-liner in the series, Brad? Now that's using oh, your head. No, 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 definitely not. There's stuff in the prequels that's way worse than that. Oh, I'm saying of, uh, of Mandalorian. Oh, Mandalorian. Uh, yeah, probably. But but I thought it was fun though. It's it to me. It's 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 on par in the best ways with three PO's. Like, oh, I'm beside myself, or this is such a drag. Well, those are the bad ones that I'm talking about. But yeah, so. <laughs> they're uh, all the same. Yeah. Uh, I will say it's uh, as bad as that line is. I, I am again. I'm happy to have Star Wars that has a bit, a, a lot of levity to it. It has some humor and some fun, and isn't just grim and 
<laughs> All drama. Uh, anyways, uh, Grief takes him uh, to the Enzelians. Is that how you say it? The Enzelians. Yeah. Enzelians. Uh, these are a bunch of droidsmiths who have made Navarro their home. And we've seen these species before. They were in the Rise of Skywalker. We saw Babu Frick, who did the moment that Brad just talked about earlier, where he brought C-3PO back. Uh, they're again played by Shirley Henderson, who voiced Babu Frick, uh, and also uh, Moaning Myrtle. Yeah, she played yeah. Moaning Myrtle in uh, Goblet of Fire. Yeah. Uh, I love these guys. I want to say that this scene made my month. I love this scene. This scene is so good. I love... <laughs> I love... Uh, Grief Karga translating not the things that like Mandalorian can't understand, but the the obvious things that the Anzellans are saying through the tiny door in the street. And and uh and Mando like is sitting in there. I don't even know how he shot got into this tiny workshop. There's like this one shop shot where he's like sitting there and like his head is barely like it's almost touching the ceiling and he barely fits. And Grogu tries to hu- uh, hug one of the Anzellans and Mando yells at him to it's not a pet he's like bad baby i, well, I love the the yeah. little creature saying no squeeze no squeeze <laughs> no they the anzellans were i think one of the hands down best things that came out of rise of skywalker and and there's a lot of things i did like in rise of skywalker but the anzellans were like they just put a smile on my face no matter what and they feel very inherently star wars now yeah, and so seeing them here was very, very fun, and I I wonder if if it is Babu Frick because I know one thing that they're trying to get away from is saying that all the members of one species all do the same thing, mm. right? Because because now we've got like because we fell into that trap, right? It was like Gamorians are only axe wielding guards, or or you know. Uh, or, or, Kells, yeah. or yeah or whatever like so them going back to these these Anzel, uh, Anzelans as droid smiths makes me wonder if one of them is Babu Frick and it's early enough in the timeline that maybe he hasn't uh, hooked up with the Spice Runners of Kijimi yet yeah it, it doesn't say anything in, in the credits either way so it just, it's well it's, it's, it says Anzelan crew yeah yeah it's uh, it's Schrodinger's Babu Frick. <laughs> uh, I just hope that they have more of a role in this in this series in some way because they they are awesome. If they if they had a, a Anzellans uh, TV series on Disney Plus, I, I would I'd watch it. Yeah, I don't know what that would be, but I'd watch it. But anyways, um. Okay, so they they tell him that the memory circuit is broken and they don't know how to make new... They don't make new ones anymore, so they're very hard to find. And Mando leaves IG-11 with Karga and takes off to find the rare circuit, hopefully. And uh, Mando teaches Grogu how to navigate the ship, which I'm sure will come into play later. And... uh, what was the line like? Uh, Mandalorian need to know how uh, how to read a uh, navigate or whatever, because then they're not lost. Or I forget what the line was, but it was a good line. Uh, better than the use your headline. Uh, and <laughs> uh, uh, Pirate King Gorian Shard shows up, uh, or his men show up, and 
Uh, they've caught Mando trying to leave and uh, this asteroid field dogfight results, which I think is reminiscent of Attack of the Clones. Uh, do you guys have any thought on this whole dogfight sequence? I thought it was cool. It was, it was, you go back and talk about Attack of the Clones and that actually um, is exactly where I went. And it was either Jango Fett is really bad against Jedi and that's sort of like, it's this contrast between Mandalorian or people wearing Mandalorian armor in space or Obi-Wan is just that good. And I don't know if it's how it's supposed to contrast Din's skill, but watching him in his ship just pick them off one at a time just filled me with glee. I love the one where it's the shot in the, the pirate fighter's ship explodes after it goes behind the asteroid and then uh, the starfighter flies away. I thought that was a good shot. Uh, Brad, any thoughts on this whole dogfight? I think, Brad, I think you I might was, be on uh, mute. Yeah, I was muted. Sorry, yeah. Uh, hold, uh, yeah. hold on. Let me mark oh. the clip. Okay, good. Yeah, no, this was cool. Uh, you know, it's like Brian mentioned Attack of the Clones. And this is definitely reminiscent of that, that dogfight between Jango Fett and Obi-Wan in that scene uh, going through the asteroids and everything. And there's some cool maneuvers by that ship. I love seeing Mando's new ship in action, like just the way it speeds around. And it's so so sleek and uh, easily maneuverable. Yeah. Uh, Mando is able to outmaneuver the pirates and takes a couple of them out uh, because and then ends up coming face to face with the Pirate King Gordian Shard's massive pirate ship. And this ship looks cool. It has like this weird anvil shaped nose to it. And uh, uh, I feel we... like they're familiar, but I have not. Li- I've. It's been a long day. I have not had a chance to go research them yet. The, they, the, they the look ship so or familiar. the people? The the ship. ship. Uh, the people I think are are new. All of these people are new. Yeah. The. Uh, the... He he kind of looks like a mix of Swamp Thing meets Davy Jones. Uh, I had a friend who's referring to him as Mr. Salad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this isn't the type of creature or uh, species that we've seen in Star Wars before. Uh, no, not that I can not yeah. that I can recall. No, I thought that there was actually like when I saw it, I was like, "Wait, is this something mildly Drenger related?" Um. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, the guy that um, that voices him is Nanzo Anozi. Anozi. Uh, he is best known for his role as Tank in Rock and Rolla, Sergeant Dapp in Ender's Game, Captain of the Guards in Cinderella, and uh, he was uh, in Game of Thrones as Zaro, I think. And uh, he was in Sweet Tooth as Tommy Jeppard, uh, which he just won a Emmy for. And... Uh, the guy that actually did the performance on set is Carrie Jones, who played Black K in Book of Boba Fett. So there you go. Um, I think he looks cool. Uh, Brad, any thoughts on uh, Salad Face? I think he looks awesome. I mean, he looks he, he does look like Swamp Thing, and I, I hope that – I'm sure we'll get to see more of him. Yeah. I, I felt like this was a huge setup for the rest of the season, to be honest, where where – Din is being given a path. He's like, hey, you can help protect the people of Navarro or you can go 
on your weird religious quest. And Din is picking that religious quest. And I think I think there's going to be some scouring of the Shire as far as Navarro is concerned with these pirates. I think so, too. And I I kind of hate it because I feel like this show, the series, The Mandalorian, is often Din has his story that he needs to he wants to go do something and then something happens and he's like oh i gotta go help these people and then something else happens he's like oh, i gotta go help. and he always gets like sidetracked and it's all of these like side quests and that's that's the one thing i don't really like about mandalorian is it feels like it is not one cohesive story it always feels like it's just like a bunch of like obstacles i, I know this is it- drama Brian, I know it, Brian. Well, no, no. I was gonna say it reminds me of Spider Man, right? Like if you read like all the best Peter Parker stories, when his life is in balance, like if his personal life is in balance, his Spider Man life is completely out of control, and when he goes to deal with the Spider Man life, it gets out of control in his personal life, and it just kind of teeter totters back and forth. And I think that's what's really happening with with Din, as far as those things and those side quests like whenever he goes to put out a fire there's going to be another fire that shows up elsewhere well that and plus i mean the 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 series structure itself lends itself to like how video games are we actually wrote an article about how you know the the quest that's being set up right now kind of feels like something you'd see in a bethesda video game you know something like fallout or uh, even something like elder scrolls you know so like you get a quest and then that quest leads you to another quest and like that leads to uh, an, another enemy and like you have to deal with that while you're on uh, you know a different quest and so it's you know it, it works for the i think the confines of the series especially since like each episode itself does have its own mini adventure on top of the larger you know mando story yeah uh mando is able to escape shard but I'm sure we're going to come back to him later at some point. Uh, Mando shows Grogu a planet in the Mandalorian system. A system. This is Kelvala. Where is this from? Have we heard of the, this before? Um, it is something that we've heard about. Um, there was Death Watch had bombed there during the Clone Wars. So it was just it's barely mentioned in Clone Wars. Um. So, yeah, it, it, it's just it's it's a moon of Mandalore that got bombed by, interestingly enough, the sect that Bo-Katine belonged to, back when they bombed it. Uh, it seems like r- rainy, uh, water, but like the the land is like gr- filled with greens. I almost wonder like why the Mandalorian didn't just relocate there after. I mean, I get it. I get why they didn't. But uh, someone did relocate there, and they are in a Mandalorian castle, a brutalist, angular, polished marble, windows, uh, and uh, Mando lands on the the, uh, the landing port there. And it, it's it's cool looking, and uh, uh, Bo-Katan is sitting on a throne at the end of this really long hallway in this big castle altar so does she just like sit there all day brad like what, what, what does she do with her time she just like seemed like she just sits on this throne in this big castle doing nothing that's what i thought too and she's sitting there like in such a like unnecessarily like moody sprawling way like it's it was kind of annoying that it was set up just to be like oh look at this cool shot it's like yeah sure that shot looks cool but it doesn't make any damn sense for her to just sit there on that throne it's not like she's watching tv or yeah. something i will say it looks cool the throne looks cool. Like the bottom of of it almost has like the cutout of what the Mandalorian helmet has. It's like really 
well designed. Uh, there's a mural on the wall that I want to see more in close up and see what it is. Um, but uh, Brian, any thoughts on this uh, Bocatan's castle? That was, my thought was yours exactly. Like she's just sitting around doing nothing. Like things have really gotten bad for her. Yeah. Um, no, I thought it looked very cool, and it has that sort of angular architecture that we saw in Sundari City in Clone Wars uh, so well uh, and so often. So it has this sort of brutalist Mandalorian architecture style, which is weird to be able to go like, oh, that's an architecture style belonging to the Mandalorians because uh, it's all fictional. But it, it really does have that vibe. If you go look at the design of Mandalore in the Clone Wars episodes, her castle fits so neatly into that aesthetic. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, Mando wants to join Bo-Katan, but Bo-Katan has given up, which seems very unlike like her and unlike her character. Um, but anyways, uh, she says, the children of the Watch and all the factions that came before fractured and shattered uh, the Mandalorian people. There's nothing on Mandalore. It's been ravaged, plundered, poisoned, um, but she doesn't believe in the curse. Uh, somehow, I don't know. Uh, Mando tells her his plan to bathe in the mines of Mandalore. Uh, she says they supplied Beskar ore to our ancestors, and the rest is superstition. Brad, do you have any theories on what, what, what she's talking about? Do you think there's something bigger with the mines of Mandalore? I mean, there's got to be something like dangerous that's probably there, but I think it's just more the like the idea of that the what what he believes in, what what the you know the what she refers to you know as the the Mandalorian cult believes in, isn't really anything that like matters, and it's you know it's it's just nonsense. So I, I think that's largely what she's talking about, but maybe we'll find out that there's you know because the planet has just been left to basically die or, or continue yeah. dying then maybe there's things there that you know he's not anticipating Pro- probably some kind of gross creature yeah uh she tells mando where to find the mines beneath the civic center in the city of sundari which is the city most of the action plays out if you watch those clone wars episodes with those fights between obi-wan and maul uh between ahsoka and maul i was actually really excited because it looked like the uh like like all of the stuff that we've seen in Clone Wars is played out in Sundari City. Okay. Um, that's good to know. And uh, so he leaves and we cut to black. Uh, did you guys notice anything worth mentioning in like the, the concept art and the credits or anything? I noticed that uh, I th- there, there appeared to be a piece of concept art of an area of the pirate ship that we didn't see, unless it happened so fast that I somehow missed it when, when Mando flew over it. But it looked like there was some kind of uh, like a docking bay or almost like an aircraft carrier uh, roof on top of that ship. Did you guys notice that? I noticed that, and I also noticed it looked like it was painted much cooler than it was in the sequence. Yeah. Like had a, like almost like a pirate painting to it, which is kind of cool. Um, uh, I, I wanted to mention that Latif Crowder and Brendan Wayne, these are Pedro Pascal's uh, action slash 
stunt doubles as Din Djarin. Uh, for the first time ever in Mandalorian history, they were given co-starring billing this time around. So, like, while you're, like, watching the concept art, the, the first name, I think, after, like, uh, Pascal and, and Katie were those two guys' names, which I think is, uh, I don't know, it, it's not big news. You're not going to read that on any movie news site, but I think that's notable. I'm guessing... Pedro was busy doing Last of Us a lot, and they kind of asked to get, uh, you know, they uh, their agents asked to get a uh, co-starring credit. Yeah, I, or, may, or, or maybe I mean, you can also picture about you. Pedro is, you know, that good of a guy that maybe he said, yeah. "Hey, these guys probably deserve more credit because they're doing yeah. part of the job that I so do." So at the premiere, he called them out specifically um, and pointed them out in the audience um, because they were there, and he had nothing but affection for them when he was calling them out and thanking them for what yeah. they did for the role of the Mandalorian. So I could see that being just as much that, or it could be an acknowledgement from everybody on the production. Favreau yeah. and Filoni yeah. both feel like guys that, that want to give credit where it's due and uh, they deserve it. Yeah. I, I think it's notable to mention because it, it, it's cool that they're finally getting big billing for what the work that they've been doing. And um, I guess the other thing to mention, which I, I we already knew ahead of time, but uh, the composer is credited as Joseph Shirley, not um, what's his Ludwig name? Goranson. Yeah, uh, who's probably busy doing some movies and stuff. I'm guessing. Do we know? Do we I, have a reason for that? I I don't I I don't know. Because um, I think I'll Joseph did some of uh, Book of Boba Fett too. I think. Right. Yeah, I think he was sort of training under under him and doing that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. He yeah. he's probably busy, or they maybe they couldn't afford him, right? He's got some Oscars and stuff now. He or whatever awards he's won, and he, they can't afford him anymore. Yeah. Uh, okay, we're, we're at the end of the episode. We're going to get into speculation. We have some fun things to speculate about, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, guys, on to speculation. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with Gorian Shard? Uh, how do you think he's going to figure into the season? I, I mean, I guess you you already said your prediction here, Brian, right? You think he's going yeah. to terrorize... I think he's going to terrorize Navarro, and it's going to it's going to be a scouring of the Shire situation. I would not be surprised if we don't see Navarro again for a long time, and when Din comes back, it's Some going shambles. to be yeah. The High Magistrate is no longer going to be Grief Karga, but Gorian Shard. Brad, do you think he's right, or do you have any, any other ideas? That would be interesting. Uh, I got the vibe that Gorian Shard was going to be more of a character who like keeps popping up and fucking up Mando's like day. Like, just when, you know, something goes right for him, then all of a sudden here's Gorian Shard, and he's like, ah, I found you, Mando. And he's like, but then he'll keep, you know, getting away until there's, like, more of a uh, a bigger confrontation where he finally just has to, like, get rid of him once and for all. But I do like Brian's idea of Gorian Shard taking it out on Navarro um, and uh, and that becoming uh, something that Mando has to reconcile within himself. Yeah, see, I, I initially thought like you did, Brad, but I think now that Brian has put this idea out into the 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 error i am now all uh, i that's all i can tell is like oh he didn't he didn't want to stay and help these people 
you know, he didn't want to do the good thing. Like, you know, he's too busy trying to do his own thing. Like, it's, it seems like it's part of the arc. I don't know what the arc is for him this season, but it feels like it's part of the arc that, like, you know, he's going to have to go back and, and deal with this. But I also feel like if he did stay on Navarro, it's not a matter of him staying behind and helping people because yeah. it's, it's not really, like, a place where, like, necessarily needs help. Like, they've obviously been able to help themselves, and Grief was just offering him, like, a cushy position, yeah. like, to have a job where he can just relax and not have to worry about being a bounty hunter anymore. So, like, it's not entirely his fault. Like, Mando just happened to be there when those pirates were being dickheads. You know, the, if it would have gone down without Mando there, you know, then Grief probably would have handled them themselves because it was, you know, it wasn't just Mando taking them out. It was Grief who also was ready to draw his, his laser blaster too. So, um, yeah. but I but I do I do think that that is an, an interesting idea of Navarro, you know, becoming this great place and then getting taken down a peg because of what happened. Yeah, uh, we will we see Moff Gideon again? I, I guess uh, Brian Brian let it uh, slip that I mean the actor has said that he's in the yeah season. that wasn't my slip yeah, yeah. that was that was Giancarlo Esposito yeah um, the uh, how do you think he's going to figure into this season, Brian? I wonder. In the trailer, we had those shots of like um, Carson Tava and stuff with the New Republic. And since he's doing that New Republic Tribunal, I think he could figure into that stuff. Um, yeah, or that maybe the, maybe there's another Miggs Mayfeld episode and he helps Gideon escape or something. I don't know. I mean, like, Rick uh, Rick's for second episode was that prison, that New Republic prison escape. Maybe maybe some of those, those uh, you know, bad guys are coming back for revenge and releasing Moff Gideon is their way to do it. Or maybe it's a, I mean, maybe they need Moff Gideon to somehow get them into something Imperial. Or here's, here's a thought that's kind of terrifying is the New Republic cuts him a deal and, and doesn't, um, the New Republic cuts him a deal for information about the Empire that he has, which is something that happened, yeah, right? Like, through the course of wars, and he doesn't actually have to stand trial for his crimes against Mandalore and that genocide and those orders he gave. And that could put the Mandalorians all over again at odds with the New Republic. Yeah, I can see that as well. Um, will... Brad, will the Mandalorian get to bathe in the minds of Mandalore and uh, will he find anything there? Will it be inhabitable? Will, you know, what, what, what do you think we're going to expect from that? I don't know. You know, like it's one, for, on one hand it would be rewarding for Din Djarin to be able to do that, but then it wouldn't necessarily move him forward much as a character because it still keeps him as, you know, dedicated to the, you know, what's being referred to as a cult. And sure, you know, anybody who disagrees with any religious belief can say that about any other religion. But I feel like maybe something else has to happen where, like, he realizes he doesn't need to do that to, like, be the person, like, he should to, like, help the galaxy or to uphold, you know, the the important parts of Mandalorian ideals uh, and to, to, you know, really just be, like, a stand-up person who is somebody who is guiding, you know, Grogu on this journey. And... I think that that would be the best character arc for him is to realize that he doesn't need to like adhere to all of these things in such a slavish fashion, and yet he can still, you know, uh, be be a true Mandalorian in a, in a lot of other ways. Yeah. Um, how do we get 
Bo-Katan involved again. And I, I, how do you, like, it seems like she's so defeated in this. Uh, Br- Brad, do you have any theories on that? Yeah, that I don't know. Cause like, I, I don't know if like, it's going to drive her crazy and she's going to come for Mando again and want <laughs> the dark saber. Um, or, or what, the, yeah, what the deal is, is going to be there. Um, yeah, can, I'm, I'm not sure about that. Can, can I say something from the premiere that Pedro Pascal said? Sure. I don't know how widely it's been reported on, but some people, I don't know, like Dave Filoni really made it feel like like this utterance was a spoiler, but knowing Pedro Pascal and Dave Filoni, it could be a, a dodge or a, a scam. <laughs> but I mean, they, they uh, said it publicly, so. Yeah, they said it publicly. Well, I so they're they they're brought up on stage together, Bo Katan or Katie Sackoff and Pedro Pascal. And uh, they're talking and she kind of gives this nice speech about the fans and the character and loving Star Wars, etc. And he just gets on. And he's like, you aren't going to believe what she does to me. Oh, and Dave Filoni, like you could just see like <laughs> Dave Filoni just get furious. Like, no, no, you don't say that. Don't say that. Um, Interesting. Mm. So that's that's not something that's not something we've seen in in either of the first two episodes but it's it could be who knows yeah. and it could be them fainting you know like it could be it could be them misdirecting purposely because they are not above that um you know like i talked to as part of that round table i talked to katie sackoff and she related that story about how like Dave told her that the Jedi coming to get Grogu was Plo Koon and she believed him and didn't know until the premiere. Uh, I, I, she didn't know until watching it at home like that. It was, it was Luke Skywalker. I mean, to be fair, that's what everybody was told, you know, that's what was in the script. So that, I mean, and that, and that was like a big lie to keep. I feel like if they're going to put out a lie, it's not going to be that, be something terrible happening and then it not happen. Yeah. Like I feel like, and, and, and as, as uh, protective as Filoni and Favreau are about spoilers, that feels like something that he would react to and be like, Whoa, Hey, let's, let's hold off on that. <laughs> it, it reminded me of that moment. Celebration Europe, where the guy who played Baze Malvis is just like, yeah, it's <sighs> terrible. We all just die at the end. Like, it was a very emotional death for me, for everybody. And, like, everybody was just like, did he really say that? Maybe we could play this off as his English is bad. I remember that moment, and everybody, like, the, the fans weren't even like, you'd think, like, by a reveal of that, like, people would get excited. Like, everybody, it would just, like, the audience just it just killed the audience the audience like just like went to this hush and even disney cut that out of like they had a live stream of the <laughs> they went back and cut that moment out because, yeah. because it, it was it was uh i was supposed to go right after that uh panel I, I brian you were probably supposed to be there uh to the star wars show they were broadcasting live uh in the the convention hall and i was supposed to go there and give a reaction to the trailer or the panel or whatever and uh they canceled it and i was told later it was because they didn't want anybody mentioning (laughs) (laughs) they could they could have just told everybody hey don't mention this i know uh it it was 
spectacularly like one of the biggest like oh my god this guy just spoiled the entire ending on screen <laughs> it was funny and uh not but anyways okay uh what else um space whales uh i really don't know how they're gonna play into this i i agree with you brian that they're gonna play into ahsoka in some way but in this series i don't i feel like setting them up here like they could have set them up later it didn't have to be in this like first episode i don't know it feels like it's gonna be something coming up so there's something that like i think a lot of people are missing in the book of boba fett debate Filoni and Favreau have been since since that announcement at the D23 Expo that they were doing this constellation of sort of interrelated stories and sort of Marvel universing it. They have been very upfront about how all this stuff is going to be interconnected amongst the Filoni Favreau verse and this series of of yeah. stories. So if that's that's true putting them here does connect to Ahsoka because they're expecting us to watch all of these moments. And it's a, when we watch this again in retrospect after seeing Ahsoka and after watching rebels, we're going to go, Oh, that's what that thing was. They were, they were laying that groundwork already. You know what I mean? Like if that's how they're approaching it as though it's all one story, regardless of what name is on the title. I don't know. I just feel like it. I, 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 I'm more strongly believing that it's going to come into play in this f- season at, s- at some point. But I, I, I cannot piece together the puzzle yet. Uh, do we really need IG-11 back? I feel like his purpose, that, that him, his sacrifice in, was that the end of the first season? Yeah, I think it was the end of the first season, uh, was so good. And I don't really... I mean, I like the character, but I don't really think we need I think, him back. I think, I think the instinct for 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 Din is because it's his character. You remember he was terrorized in the Clone Wars again, like by droids. He is afraid of droids. Does not like operating near droids, and overcame that with IG Eleven. So his natural instinct is to say, "Well, I need a droid. This is the only one I can trust." And everybody's like, "No, he's broken." It's like, no. Pull him down. We're gonna fix him. No, he's he's broken. It's it's very childish on Din's part, and it shows how much he has to grow. And I think he's going to have to learn how to trust other droids or droids in general, or overcome that prejudice that he has completely because IG Eleven's not coming back. I hope you're right on that. I hope that that's the moral here, and it isn't bringing IG Eleven back. Brad, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean that's I think that's a good idea, and that that would be the best way to handle this because I do I've always hated the the idea of like giving characters these grand deaths, giving them these big moments, and then like having them come back even even if you wait a little while for them to come back, like it just it, it undercuts it, you know? It really it's uh, unless you're a franchise like Fast and Furious where like bringing a character back is just like ridiculous and makes it more fun. Like this this feels like there's like a lot more weight to it and like there should be some finality to certain characters you know so i i, I hope they don't have, bring him back like again as like a as, a, as a, a character i agree uh okay i guess uh the last question here in speculation is what do you guys think the season's going to be about because like you know i don't think this is going to be all building up to him going to mandalore and, and taking a bath like that can't be the, the climactic thing of the season right like that's just like 
something on the path to where he gets to later on in the season. What, what do you think this... I don't even know, like, is this pirate guy the big bad of this season? I doubt it. And I, I'll go back to what I said earlier about uh, Din Djarin's journey. And I feel like he's got to come to terms with how how dedicated he is to what he believes is the way of the Mandalorian. Um, and there's got to there's be some kind of, like, happy medium, a compromise between what, what Bo-Katan's people believe and what, what Din Djarin's uh, Mandalorian sect believes. And I think that there's... Um, yeah, much in the same way that, like, Rey, you know, represents this, like, path between the dark side and the light side by the end of Rise of Skywalker. God forget, forbid, forgive me for referencing that movie. Um, but I uh, I think that, that yeah, that's that he kind of has to have, like, a similar thing here where he's he's got to have a, a happy medium between the two. Yeah. I, I think a lot of what this season is going to be about is that unification of the Mandalorian people. And if not the unification of the people, at least the reconciliation of all the different beliefs inside of Jin or Din, which is something that we've been seeing him on the road to, especially through season two, where he was exposed to every different slice of and kind of Mandalorian he could be. Almost. He didn't run into any Imperial super commandos or anything, but you, you, you get what I mean, right? Like, yeah. um, that idea that that he could be, um, you know, grappling with all of that internally. I think that's the arc this season. Do you think that Boba Fett will appear in this season? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I really don't have a theory on that, but I, I was just wondering because obviously they didn't announce a second season of that. So I'm wondering if that's the end of the story or for how we're going to get more of that story. Um, okay. I should, uh, we'll leave you with this. Uh, there's a rumor directors list for Mandalorian season three. I mean, obviously these are all the directors, but there's a rumored list of what they're directing. So Rick directed this episode. The next episode is Rachel Morrison. Uh, episode three is Lee Isaac Chung. Episode four is Carl Weathers. Episode five is Peter Ramsey, who is one of the directors of Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, episode six is going to be Bryce Dallas Howard. And then Rick is going to take it take us home with seven and eight. So uh, Dave Filoni and, and John Favreau not directing this season. Um, interesting that Rick is given, is, is you know, bookending it with the beginning episode and the last two if this is correct i wonder I'm if kinda, oh I'm, go ahead i'm surprised i'm just uh, i'm surprised that feloni isn't directing an episode this he's season. he's he's been like underwater with ahsoka though oh that's fair that's fair and i wonder if that's why favreau sat out of directing one of these episodes to continue writing but maybe give ahsoka that boost i wouldn't be surprised if he's directing one of those episodes that might make sense. That that might be that might be the case. Anyways, uh, is there anything anything else you guys want to say before we go? I can't wait to talk about the next episode. Do we do we think that by the end of this season that there might be more of a tie in to what will happen in Ahsoka? Ooh, uh, I don't know. I mean, you'd think it would have to at some... 
Yeah, do, uh, Brian, do you think Ahsoka appears in this season? I think it's possible. I mean, <laughs> this is the same answer I give every I know, time. It's like, do you think so-and-so could show up? It's like, Darth Maul came back from the dead. What do we, like, anything is possible. Yeah. Like, I think Ahsoka coming back this season is likely, especially with her ties to Bo-Katan. I would really love to see Bo-Katan and Ahsoka on screen together again. That'd and I think cool. this is the place to do it. Um, and I wonder if there there could be a mirror there of Din not accepting the marshaldom on Navarro and Bo-Katan asking Ahsoka for help reuniting Mandalore and Ahsoka going like, I got my own mission. I'm on my own quest. Sorry. The same way Din does to Grief Karga. Yeah, it could happen. Um, okay. Anyways, is, is, do you guys have any feedback, questions, comments, speculation? Send it to us, Peter at slashfilm.com. You can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. I have a ton of links to the coverage on slashfilm. I feel like there's been like 20 articles in the last, I think, Six hours I, or something. I wrote a full fifth of them. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to check them out, there's links in the show notes. This podcast is published every weekday on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. If you enjoy this podcast, even even if it's just like these recap podcasts, please head on over to our podcast page on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. Give us a review. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. Oh no, where how do I turn this off? Okay. <laughs>